since I took so long for that. <coughs> Ruth chapter 4. As we travel through the book of Ruth, what an amazing book we have seen. A love story. A story of redemption. We've been studying the kinsman redeemer, which is an amazing story in itself. We um, closed last week with Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, told her in 318 to set still my daughter until you know how the matter will turn out, for the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. Listen, listen. What a beautiful picture of Christ setting making intercession for us. Christ is not going to rest. He's not going to stop until He completes the work He started in us until the day He comes to take us home to the day we see Him. He's going to finish this matter. To Him, a day is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. And so what happens in chapter 4, we see Boaz. Now Boaz, remember who Boaz is. He is... uh, going to be our kinsman redeemer here. He's not the nearest kin. We've already been told that in chapter 3. Boaz means in him is strength, which is amazing. In him is strength. Now we're going to see in this text that the, that the other relative, the closest relative, doesn't have the strength to redeem, but Boaz in him is strength to redeem. Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there And behold, the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Come aside, friend. Sit down here. So he came aside and sat down. Now, just quickly, interesting, it says he went up. Um, I'm not sure, but we know that they were already at the threshing floor, which was up. They would thresh the grain and throw it in the wind, and they were up a little bit high on a hill. And so Bethlehem must have been up higher uh, than where they were at. But what I like, it's an interesting phrase because um, the gate is the place of judgment. And all the, you know, today we have courthouses downtown, but this is where all the judgment was done at the gates. They would always do the judging at the gates. Remember when they were getting mad at Lot? They said, they said that Lot had came in there and now he's trying to sit at the gate and tell them how to live. And they were mad at Lot about that because that's where they would make decisions at. And so really, here is the judgment seat. And we see Boaz in him who is strength, who's a type of Christ, who's the type of the kinsman redeemer. We see him going up. We see him going up and ascending back and then setting down. And I really like the way this picture comes out. But he, he's, not just, he's not just to the gate. He's at the judgment seat. The eternal judgment seat is where he's sitting in heaven. Christ is sitting there on the throne. And there's only one place to sit down. That's the throne. Because he's God with us. And he sat down there. Um, and, and he waited. Because he knows that everything that goes on is going to go through that place right there, the throne room, just like it did on the earthly. And, I, and I, I'm sorry if I go back and forth. Earthly here at the gates, he knew everybody doing any business, any transaction, everything going on was going to pass through this place. Everybody for the city of Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of bread. And so he sat down there and waited. And behold, 
the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, come aside, friend. It's funny here, and I don't know what it means. Come aside, friend. And I have a little note. Do you guys have a note? And mine says, Hebrew, Hebrew Poloni Alimony. Literally, so-and-so. And, and it doesn't give the name of this closer relative. Never gives the name. We don't, we're, it's not identified. Now, I can tell you what I believe. I believe that we have a picture here of the law. The closer relative we're going to see is a picture of the law that could never redeem. Now, just keep hold with me here. I've given you a little bit of, of insight there a little earlier. Come aside, friend. Sit down here. So he came aside and sat down. And they're, they're seated. They're sitting down. Um, and he took the ten men of the elders. Now listen, there's ten men. Just like there's ten commandments. The law. All it took was two or three at the most witnesses. That's all you needed was to establish a matter. But he purposely gets ten. And I believe it's there for us to understand that this is a type of or a prefiguring of the law. Ten men of the elders of the city and said, set down here. So they sat down. Everybody's sitting down. Must be a nice place to be. What would you think about it though? At the gate of the city. How can you sit down? There's no, I mean, there's no seats there. There's a, it's dirt. I mean, the way I always see the cities, I don't see a whole bunch of seats, but they're all sitting down. They're all sitting down in judgment. Then he said to the close relative, Naomi, notice that he never calls her Mara like she wanted to be called. I don't think that anybody called her Mara ever. She said, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, but I don't think anybody ever called her bitter. Her name means pleasantness. She's a, she's a Jew, so we see she's a type of the Jewish nation. Then he said to cl the close relative, Naomi, how come we're not given his name? Because his name's not important. Naomi, who has come back from the count country of Moab, remember she came back, she returned to God, her husband, Elimelech, took her down there. His name meant, my God is king. Took his wife, Pleasant, down to Moab, an unclean country that, that was their enemy. And took their two sons with them, Malon and Chilion, which means puny and unhealthy. So the whole family was unhealthy because dad's walking away from Bethlehem, which is the house of bread, and going down to an evil country, and taking his pleasant wife with him, who is not arguing, but she's being submissive and following. And then while she's down there, what happens? Dad dies. So she becomes a single mom. Then both the boys marry outside of Israel. Not a very good thing to do, to be unequally yoked. And then they both and then both of them die. And now she's got these two daughter-in-laws. And if you'll remember through the story... Um, Orpah, who was married to Chilion, goes back to find rest, which is what Naomi told him. And rest means matrimony. Told her to go back and find another husband to take care of her. And Ruth, the Moabitess, clings to her and makes the, you know, the, the great chapter 1 uh, 
proclamation that wherever she goes, she'll go, and whoever her God is will be her God, and where she dies, you know, she makes this complete commitment to the God of Israel, the God of Naomi, because of Naomi's life, because of how Naomi had been uh, uh, sowing the fruits of righteousness in peace by those who make peace. And she had been living her life out loud, even though dad and the boys weren't really doing what they should be doing. And they were in a strange land. And God told her to go home, that the famine was over. And she went home, knowing that there's nothing there because all the inheritance was passed through the males of the family. And where's she at? Dad and both boys are dead. So she really goes back with no hope. But part of the hope was that she didn't know about when she thought she was being dealt with bitterly was that in the law there was a provision of a redeemer. The nearest kin in the law could redeem her land but would have to marry and produce a male child in order to do that. The kinsman redeemer could redeem land, could redeem and leverage marriage, could redeem, we'll read that here in a little bit if we get there. I'm long-winded, I'm sorry. And Leverett marriage could redeem uh, by, ha- by marrying the, the woman and then the first male child would raise up that family and extend Malon's um, lineage so that the inheritance would go back to the right family. And then they could also um, avenge blood. There's a lot of things the kinsman redeemer could do. And Christ is our kinsman redeemer. That's why he became a man. Uh, to become uh, a flesh and blood like us, to become our nearest relative who was able to redeem us because nobody else could. So he says to this nearest relative, Naomi, everybody seems to know who this pleasant person is. Uh, There's no need to explain who she is. He just says, Naomi, just like this guy knew her perfectly, who has come back, returned to God, returned to Bethlehem in the house of bread, from the country of Moab, where she was backslidden, sold the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. Now, it's interesting. I don't, I don't remember the story. You guys might. I don't remember any place where it shows that she sold the land. So either we weren't given that information, but maybe she come back and said, I don't have anything, sell the land. And it must not be close to the year of Jubilee. If you guys remember the year of Jubilee, Uh, Every 50 years, I believe it is, the year of Jubilee, that God had this system under the law that everybody got their land back so that it wouldn't go into the wrong hands. It would always come back to the family that he gave it to. And the land always comes back because God is, it's his planet, and he gives everything to everybody, and he expects them to keep it and take care of it and be a good steward with it. And so that's one of the reasons for uh, the kinsman redeemer was to make sure the land and make sure it continued in the same family as their inheritance that God had given to them uh, from promise. So it says that Naomi sold it. I don't know. Um, I don't know if this is just telling us that it's her responsibility. See, because really, when you look at it, I was born under a curse and sin, but I didn't do that. Adam did it, but it becomes mine. So I'm not sure if Elimelech went broke before they left, and that's why they went down to Moab to try to do something, but it's, it's Naomi's inheritance. She has no land. No matter who did it, it's her inheritance. It's how she's standing right now. 
so I don't want to dwell too long on it, but, but you are born a sinner because of what Adam did, not because of what you did. But if you were in Adam's place, you would have done exactly what he did um, in that same place. Stood and looked at his wife uh, disobeying God instead of stepping up and going, hold up, honey, don't do that. God said don't. So the piece of land is gone. It belonged to their brother Elimelech. Now many people don't believe that that word is being used properly, their brother. I don't know. I mean, if they're brothers, then that would make Boaz and this nearest relative brothers. And it would make them brothers probably of Elimelech. Could it be? I don't know. They think that it wasn't that close of relatives. But who knows, because all we have is the words we have to deal with. And it's not revealed really in Scripture. But it would appear that they're all brothers. But many people say for some reason that they could be cousins. I don't know what that means. Other than the fact that they would call people brothers that really weren't brothers. They'd call them fathers, and it could have been their great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather. And there really was that, uh, that separation wasn't there. If you were in the family, you were in the family, and it was all part of the inheritance staying there. So, and I thought to inform you. So what's Boaz doing? He's coming to tell this relative, as he sees him in the gate, the place of judgment. And he says, I want to inform you, saying... Buy it back. It's probably the same word for redeem. Buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. Isn't that interesting to anybody else? My people. If they're brothers, then why isn't it our people? If they're brothers, why isn't it in the presence? I, I, and I don't know. See, I, some of these things I can tell you and point out and show you. And, I, and I, somebody have anything else besides my? Anybody have that in verse... Um, Four. Boaz says to the nearest relative, buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants of the elders of my people. Everybody have my? Yes. Anybody have anything different? Isn't it interesting that he's almost excluding him from the people, yet the verse above it just said that we're brothers. We're, we're, we're near relatives. But So it's just interesting to me, and some of it's type, and we may never know it, and it won't be important once you get there. Um, but if you get an insight on that, let me know sometime. Does it mean brothers in Christ? Uh, no, he's saying my people. No, and, the, the part about the brothers, being brothers. Well, yeah, it could be. It could mean brothers of Israel. It could be all from the same nation. But they're near relatives, so they have to be related in some way. Either brothers or cousins. They have to be blood relatives in this sense. Because you can't fulfill the law of kinsman redeemer unless you are somewhere close relative. And that's why Christ had to become flesh to become our relative. And if you believe that Jesus is Lord and God raising from the dead, you're saved. If you believe that He is the provision of God, then you become a child of God, and then you become brothers and sisters together. And then He's a near relative to you, and He can redeem you. Um, and He's the only one that has the, the payment that God required, which was a sinless life and sinless blood. So anyway, I don't know what my people means. It's like it's almost like it's not your people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am next after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Now, I don't know. If, if I go on and read verse 5 and 6, 
I don't know if you guys ever do this. In the first three verses, sat down was about four times. Now, in these next three or four verses, eight times we see redeem. So I think the context is redemption. I'm not sure, but the context is probably redemption. And eight is the number of new beginnings. So once you're redeemed, you have a new beginning with God. But notice it says, if you will not redeem it, it's at the end of verse four. If you will not redeem it, I am next after you. And that's the way it is. The law was never meant, Ten Commandments being the law. And this relative is going to say that he can't redeem it here in a minute. And, and it was never meant to redeem. But the law was there to keep us in line, to lead us to Christ. And, and that's really what's going on here is the law has led uh, Ruth to Christ. To the kinsman redeemer. Because Naomi told her about the law of kinsman redeemer. Leveret marriage. She's the Jewish nation. Told Ruth who was a Gentile from the Moabites. Who's not even really covered under this law. About the nearest relative. And she followed the law to the kinsman redeemer. And found a kinsman redeemer there. And that's the way you and I are saved. The law leads us to Christ. It's a tutor or a pedagogus is the Greek word. That it's the head servant of the house that would lead the children to the teacher. To school on uh, school days. And that's what the law did for you and me. The law shows us that we cannot be saved by the law. Because in order to be saved by the law, you have to keep every single bit of the law and it only shows us that we need a Savior and leads us to the person of Christ when He comes. And so when this guy, he says, I'll redeem it. But if not, I am next. And that's Jesus. He comes next after the law. And he said, I will redeem it. So he says he's going to redeem it. And redeem is a goel. or It's pronounced goel, but it's G-A-A-L. And that's simply the kinsman redeemer. That's what it's about. It, it, it's the kinsman redeemer. It means to marry back, or excuse me, to buy back land or to marry a widow. It means to deliver. It means to deliver from the bondage uh, uh, of, of not having uh, inheritance, deliver from the bondage and slavery to the land. And, and that's exactly what uh, Christ has done to you and me. He delivered us out of the bondage and slavery of sin. And he bought back the land and he bought back and gave us an inheritance uh, in the heavenlies. And we have that inheritance now even. So he says, I will redeem it. This is his, I'm going to do it. I'll redeem it. And Boaz says, oh yeah, I forgot to tell you. Verse 5. On the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you get the property. You must also buy it from Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate or to raise up again the name of the dead through his inheritance. That's the leveret marriage that we were talking about. It's interesting that if you notice, Ruth is not even present. She's not having to do any of the work here. Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, is doing all the work. He's going and doing all of the negotiating. He's going and doing all the presentation. Just as our kinsman redeemer Christ did. 
He came and, and went through an entire life. He had, to be, he had to go through suffering. He had to go through pain. He had to be tempted. He had to be tested. He had to lay down his life. And he did everything for you and I. And we don't have to do any of the work to be redeemed. All we have to do is believe that he did that work. And believe that he rose again. And that means that God the Father accepted the payment for the redemption. The payment for sin. And that all of his uh, uh, wrath for sin on the planet has been atoned for by Christ's blood. So he does all of it. Just like here, Boaz is doing all the work. And all that you have to do or I have to do all that the bride has to do all that the woman has to do and all of us men become women when you talk about the church or the bride is respond to this great love see we love Christ because he first loved us he, we have to respond to his love in our story if you'll remember she went out into the field and just by a God dent, she was in her nearest kin in Boaz's field. And what did the, the love of Boaz do? He made sure she had everything. He told his men to protect her. He told his men to let extra grain fall. He told his men to make sure that she was safe and none of the other men bothered her. He did everything to give the goodness to her so that she would want to come back. So, and now all she has to do is respond to this great love. That's all she has to do. That's all anybody on the planet has to do in order for Jesus to be their kinsman redeemer is to respond to the love that's already been handed out as he died on the cross and shed his blood for our sins. Just be a responder. Listen, husbands. Listen, future husbands. Listen, listen. You are the leader. You lay your life down as Christ did for the church. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water through the word. And then the woman responds to that love. When men tell me my wife is, I say she's responding to how you're loving her. You're the leader. Her sin is her sin, but she's going to respond. In fact, men, your whole family will respond to the way you act when you walked in the door. Women are responders. Children respond to what they're trained with. Women follow. They're supposed to be submitting. They're supposed, you're supposed to be leading. And it's the same thing with the whole gospel. It's the mystery of the kinsman redeemer. It's the mystery of the bride and, the, and, and Christ. It's the mystery of the church. We respond to this great love story of redemption. And if we don't respond... Or if we don't respond God's way, the way that he's laid it out in the spirit, then it's no response at all. It's actually a rejection. We must come just as she did. What did she do? Naomi said, here's what you need to do. And she went and said, I will, she said, I will do all of it. And she went and she laid down at his feet. There was nothing sexual. There was nothing inappropriate. She came and chose him because he first loved her. And that's what we need to do is lay down at the feet of our kinsman redeemer to worship in everything. To worship just on Sunday is not worship at all. To come and bow at his feet just on one day is not, is not bowing at all. God wants all of your heart, not just a little front place, not just a one day. It's everything where you're crucified, you're in the grave, you're dead. And he's Lord. He's the reason you live, move, and have your being. 
We respond to his great love and he'll do the rest of the work. You don't have to worry about the energy, the strength, the power, the might, the doing, the words, anything. Just respond. And he's already done it all for us. So that's what we see is going on here. He's doing the work. The law has led Naomi. Excuse me. The law has led Ruth, which means friend or friendship, has led Ruth, the Gentile of all people, we see coming to to Christ first. Does that, that help anybody? See, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. He came to the nation of Israel and they said he's not the Messiah and they rejected him. They said crucify him. And Gentiles get saved first, but he's got a future work where they're going to believe upon him. A third of, the, of Israel will be saved. I know Romans 11 says all, but there's going to be a third of them that, that believes in him. There's, there's a few Messianic Jews now that believe in Christ. But the Gentile nations first come in order to move them to jealousy. Then they're going to believe upon a false Christ. The Antichrist for three and a half years during the tribulation period until he goes and sets down in the temple and tells everybody to worship him. So anyway, all of the work is done in this love story of redemption by the kinsman redeemer. All of everything that needed to be done for you and I has been done by Christ. And as the bride, we need to just respond to what he's done. Respond to what he's given. Respond to the place that he's given us. He laid down his life. He wants to sanctify and cleanse us with the washing of the water through the word. That means this word, this truth, and his spirit. The washing of the water through the word. He's using those together to teach us truth so we can come to the full knowledge of the truth that's his desire for your life that's what he has chosen for his bride he's preparing us for the wedding supper so he says i will redeem it anybody circle that i circled it it's at the end of verse four look this he's only dealing with land I will redeem it. Not with people. Land. It. Root is not an it. Sorry, it's in mine. It might not be in yours. Then five. On the day that you buy the field from the hand of pleasant Naomi, not Mara, you must also buy it from Ruth the Moabitess, the Gentile the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead to his inheritance. Now we're going to go look at Leveret marriage in a minute, so I'm just going to keep reading. And the close relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself. He's still calling it it, even though there's a lady involved. I don't know if that's because in this day and age, ladies were like cattle. They were like a tool in the shed. I don't know if that's what it means. Uh, but he's still talking about it. Lest I ruin my own inheritance, you redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, um, again, the law was never made to redeem. The law was only made as a covering. It's called a kofar, so that God would not kill them. 
because the wages of sin was death. And they said, we'll keep your commandments. And before Moses could come back down off Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments on the two tablets, five on each one, two, or excuse me, ten on each one, two contracts, one for God and one for them. There's always two copies of a contract. They were actually in the Ark of the Covenant. Before he could even get back down, Aaron freaked out. That's a good terminology. And he made this image of this gold calf. And he says, there's the God that brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Worship him. And see, he wasn't trying to get them to worship false idols. He was trying to keep them at bay and calm them down until Moses got back. We do the same thing in the church today. We go worship stuff that has nothing to do with Christianity. And we go, it's okay to do that. No, it's not okay to do that. It's an idol. It's an image. It might as well be a gold calf you're bowing down to if the Bible says don't do it and you do it. Oh, we're not under law, Greg. But you still can't worship any way you want to. God has prescribed ways of worship. God has got his word. He's got his, he's got his royal law of love. We can't just make a bunch of images up. The very first commandment of the law is, is you shall have no other gods before me. And you shall make no graven image. The, the law was never made to redeem you and I. So, what did God do? There was 3,000 people that died that day uh, when the law was brought. And he took his place of meeting and put it outside of the uh, camp because a holy God cannot be with a sinful people. And they had rose up to play and worship. And, and, and um, God said, those who are with me, come over here. Or, or Moses did. Well, those who are with me, come over here. And others go over here. And they ended up 3,000 people dying. And, and he started the Levitical priesthood. With Aaron being the head of the priesthood, the Arianic priesthood, the high priest. And um, it was to cover the sin. So the blood of animals would be a kofar. It would cover sin until the next day of atonement. And then a holy God could move his tent of meeting back inside the people because it was always looking forward, prefiguring when Christ would die and pour out his blood on the cross to pay a full payment for our sins. The Lamb of God who would take away by paying for them and the blood of animals just covered them. It never took them away. So the law was always pointing to, it cannot redeem mankind, but it can point you to the provision. It can point you to the redeemer. It can point you to the need of a redeemer. It's a type of, so it points you to, and it was a covering until the true redeemer, the kinsman redeemer who could redeem, came. So he says he can't redeem. I cannot. The law cannot redeem you. Listen, it cannot redeem you. By the works of the law, uh, no one uh, can be redeemed. Now this was the custom, verse 7, in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm anything. One man took off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was a confirmation in Israel or confirmation in those governed by God. That's what Israel means. Therefore, the close relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. So he took off his sandal.
Let me just take you there real quick. Notice the sandal thing. Go to Deuteronomy 25. Deuteronomy 25 will start in um, verse 5. There's something interesting that's missing here, and I don't know if you notice it, if you are a Bible student and a Berean, and you know the part that's missing. Anybody know what's missing? 25.5 in the elaborate marriage. Deuteronomy, did you say? Yes, 25.5. If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the widow of the dead man shall not be married to a stranger outside of the family. So you wasn't supposed to go outside the family because then the inheritance would pass out of the family. Her husband's brother shall go into her, take her for his wife, and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And it shall be that the firstborn son which she bears... <clears throat> will succeed to the name of the dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. But if the man does not want to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate of the elders and say, My husband's brother refuses to raise up a name to his brother in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Then the elders of the city shall call him and speak to him. But if he stands firm and says, I do not want to take her. Then his brother's wife shall come to him in the presence of the elders, remove his sandal from his foot, spit in his face, and answer and say, So shall it be done to the man who will not build up his brother's house, and his name shall be called in Israel, the house of him who has his sandal removed. Anybody catch what was missing? Spit in his face is the big thing. Also, she took the sandal off his foot couple different things missing. But what's my point? What's my point? Notice in our text in root that the nearest relative said, I will redeem. I'll do it. He wasn't refusing. He wanted to, but he just couldn't. He wasn't capable of it. That's the law. That's the law. It's a picture of the law. The law can't redeem. It's not refusing. You have to keep the fullness of the law. So you have to understand, that's why the spit in the face is not going on. Because that would be shame. And the law is still perfect. The law is still just and holy. It's still God's perfection. There's nothing wrong with the law of God. It's just not what He's using for redemption. It's what He used to cover until redemption. It's what He used to keep from having to kill all the children in the wilderness because they disobeyed and the wages of sin is death. So there's no spit in the face. And, and, and in fact, he took his own shoe off and he handed it to him and said, here, you redeemed for me. And that was just the, the type of the law passing off to the real relative who could redeem Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can redeem. The law can't. Don't ever think that you can keep the law and be redeemed. Don't ever think because you go to church, you're doing something good and your works are going to redeem you. The only way to be redeemed is by receiving God's provision for redemption, which was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, His blood. It wasn't the cross. It was His blood. The cross was the method of death. It wasn't the resurrection. That was the proof He was the Messiah. That was the proof that, he, that, that God accepted the payment, so He raised Him up. It, it, death couldn't hold His body because the payment was made for sin. It was proof. I know that's a big deal in culturanity today. 
A lot of people think that, that, that because Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That you have to believe that the resurrection, yes, it's an essential doctrine, but you're not saved by the resurrection. You're saved by the blood of the Lamb. And that's where your faith needs to be, is in the blood of the Lamb, not in the resurrection. That's our hope. That's our future. We know we're going to resurrect. We know one day we're going to rise. We know that if we die, we're not staying in the grave. The dead rise first, and then those who are alive and remain meet Him in the air, and thus we're with Him always. But we're saved by the blood of the Lamb. That's God's provision. All through the Scripture, it's always been the provision of God that people need to look at. doesn't matter whether you believe that that's what should work. It's what God said. This is what I'm providing. We're all dying. We, we gathered too much quail. And these, these snakes are biting us. Moses, make a gold serpent and raise it up on a stick. And everybody that looks to it will not die. He didn't say you wouldn't be bitten. He said you won't die. So Moses made a stick. And everybody that looked did not die. People that didn't look, they fell dead. It was God's provision. Jesus even talks about it. Later they started worshiping the stick. What was it called? Methuselah or some weird name. They worshipped it. Didn't Hezekiah take it and grind it up or something? Make them drink it? I forget. Somebody, Some prophet did. One of them crazy prophets that pulled people's beards out and stuff. Made them obey. That's pretty crazy stuff. Kind, gentle people. No, I'm serious. And then Jesus mentions it. He says, he says, just as the serpent was raised in the wilderness, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. It's God's provision. What's God's provision? The cross of Christ. How is it finished? With the blood. What proves it? The resurrection. But our faith is in Jesus' blood. That's the atoning sacrifice. And if you put your faith in a resurrection or put your faith in uh, the cross, which is a stick, you're not going to be too successful. And if you only put the blood on the one sin that's been besetting you, it's not going to help your life either. He paid for your entire sin nature, your entire curse. Everything that happened because of Adam that you were born in is covered in the blood. And now you're crucified, you're dead, and you rise up. What is it, Colossians 3.1? If you have risen, since you have risen, set your mind on heavenly things, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, that's what we're supposed to do. If we really are saved, our minds are supposed to go into our kingdom. Our minds are supposed to go to where our citizenship's at. Our mind is supposed to go to what's the edict of that kingdom. And it's the salvation of souls. It's not necessarily pointing out everything of the law. It's not necessarily pointing out everything that people are doing wrong. It's to preach Christ crucified. Paul said, I do nothing but preach Christ crucified. And we talk about everything else except for Christ crucified. We talk about everything else in culture entity except for the blood of the Lamb. We point out everybody's faults and wrongs instead of just telling them about the goodness of God. That His love has been poured out and now you must respond to it. How are you going to respond? Are you going to be one that's a son of disobedience? Or are you going to be the bride who comes and worships and says, I don't deserve this. So the law could not redeem. This relative could not redeem. This relative, make no mistake, did not refuse. Wanted to redeem. 
But he, I don't know. He says here in the story that he can't redeem uh, unless he run his own inheritance. I don't know. Maybe he's already married. He's got a child. He's afraid everything that was going on. I don't know. I, 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 to me, the stories there is an example to me to help me believe the scriptures more and the truth of God's majesty. I'm not really concerned about what was going on right there because that's not the point. The point is the spiritual message behind it that makes me understand the cross and grow in the knowledge of the truth and understand what my kinsman redeemer did for me. He used the law to lead me to his goodness and then he even gave me the grace to choose his goodness. I don't know how it all works, but I love it and it changes your life. Gives you a hope and a future. So, verse 9. Um, no spit in the face because the law is still perfect, holy, just. Verse 9. And Boaz said to the elders and all the people... Remember Boaz, he's speaking to these ten elders at the gate, at the judgment seat. You are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's. My God is king. That's what Elimelech means. In him is strength, and he bought everything that belonged to my God is king. And there's people standing there that are witnesses to this. And all that was Chilion's, that was Orpah's, was his or husband, yeah, Orpah and Chilion. And all that was Malon's, that was Ruth's husband, puny and unhealthy. Isn't that weird? From the land of, for, excuse me, from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, even further, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, I have acquired as my wife to raise up for her to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from his position at the gate. You are witnesses this day. Really? He had a position at the gate? Interesting. <coughs> so he said, I have acquired. Anybody have anything else? Doesn't it say something else in the... King James purchased. Anybody have that? It's in verse uh, 10. I have acquired as my wife. It means to purchase. It means to redeem. Nobody has anything other than acquired. Purchased. purchased. Is that what it is in the King James? I thought it was. And that's. That's exactly what our kinsman redeemer did. It was he purchased us as a wife. We are the bride. Isn't it interesting that he bought back. Where is it at? Bought all that was Elimelech's. That's the Jewish nation. Ruth, the Moabitess, Malon, and Chilion. Excuse me. Not Ruth. Uh, Naomi, Chilion, and Malon. He bought back the Jewish nation. But then he purchased the church. Isn't that interesting? Two different things going on here. See, the Jewish nation uh, was underneath a different covenant. They're underneath uh, um, the law. They're supposed to be living for God and being witnesses for God of the glory of God. And they, 
uh, were apostate and had walked away from God. And that's when Elimelech goes down to Moab and, and takes Naomi and brings back this Gentile. And see, and we're the Gentiles. We're the, we're the wife. We're the one that was purchased and redeemed. It's such a pretty picture of the gospel and of the Jewish nation. Um, and even when the Jewish nation believes in Christ, they become a Messianic Jew and they become the wife. So they are acquired. What a weird word. Purchased. Then acquired just kind of changed the entire... I mean, even if you use redeemed, but there goes them copyright things again where they've got to put some kind of a word in there and change a whole bunch of words so that they can get to... So my Tyndall, New King James, has acquired... They found her laying out there in the street, acquired her. <laughs> I mean, it just changes the whole context. I just acquired her. Well, how'd you get her? Oh, I died uh -huh. for her. I mean, there's a lot of difference in the buying back and purchasing and giving your life for and the really types that are there uh, to perpetuate the name of the dead. You, you and I were the dead. All born under sin are the dead. And it may, have, may look like Malon, but we're the unhealthy. We're the dead. Maybe that word means unholy. I don't know. Through his inheritance, the name of the dead shall not be cut off. We were a people who were once not a people, and now we are a people. Retain or obtain redemption. And from his position at the gate, you are witnesses this day. Listen, if you have been redeemed. And you have a place with the gate. Jesus is the door. He's the gate. He's the, he's the door out of this world. He's the door into heaven. If you have a position, you're supposed to be a witness. In Acts 1.8, it says, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you to be witnesses for me throughout Jerusalem, Judea, and all of Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And the, and the Greek word there for witness is martus. It means one who dies for their faith. Are you willing to die self-life dead, sin nature in the grave, you're dead to be a witness for your faith in the blood of Jesus who redeemed you and purchased you and bought you back from your eternal death and gave you eternal life. Are you willing to be a witness this day? All you have to do is say yes, he'll do. He gives you the power. It's not power to defeat sin. It's not power... For anything other than to be a witness and to be a servant. And when you have that power, it's going to come across in love without hypocrisy. And all the people who were at the gate, the elders said, we are witnesses. Look, they're happy about this. They see redemption going on. They're happy. And think about it. They're all Jews looking at a Moabitess woman being redeemed by a Jew. And they're happy because they've seen her witness of how she is serving and laying her life down for Naomi, who has no son, who has no inheritance. And they're happy for the redemption to take place because they see it's for all mankind. It's for Naomi and for Ruth. And they're happy that it's coming that way. And that's really, if you read, again, Romans 11, 
You and I are supposed to let the Jewish nation know we're serving their God so that they'll become jealous and come to the truth. That's how we witness to them. So if you talk to anybody that's Jew, and I, I don't just tell them that you're serving Yahweh. Tell them you're serving the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Show them the book of Ruth and let them see the redemption story in it and tell them the types of the cross that's in there and the kinsman redeemer. Help them to understand that stuff. But unless the Spirit's moving, they're not going to get saved. So, where am I at? I digress. Hang on a minute. They're all happy. The Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the house of Israel, the two who built the house of those governed by God, and may you prosper in Ephratah, I think that's the region, and be famous in Bethlehem, the house of bread. Be famous in the house of bread. Now this is talking about Boaz. They're being witnesses. They love what just happened. And they said, May the woman who is coming into your house be like Rachel and Leah. Do you remember those two? It was the wives of Jacob who built the house of Israel. It's where the twelve... Uh, patriarchs come from Benjamin being the final one and they they, they come from uh, uh, well really they come from deception because of Jacob serving for Rachel and got Leah first and all that craziness I don't know if you remember the story but they're saying the Lord make them like Rachel and Leah so Maybe have lots of kids. Maybe lots of arrows. I almost went to the lots of arrows in Psalms 127. Um, and may you prosper and be famous in Bethlehem. Are you kidding me? He wants Boaz be famous. Anybody know who Boaz is? Who was his mom? Anybody know who his mom was? Rahab the harlot. Rahab the harlot from Jericho is, is Boaz's mom, which is cool. We're going to learn that next week because we're not going to get to it this week. I didn't think we would, but I studied it all the way through, and we'll look at the lineages and talk about them a little bit next week. Um, yeah, his mom was a... His mom was a harlot who believed God. And was saved. And he marries a Gentile who becomes the type of the church, really, with the kinsman redeemer, which is pretty amazing. So, yeah, there's this blessing put up on them. May you have a lot of kids. May you be famous. Famous actually means... Um, renowned it actually comes from a couple different words but uh it's it's a different word here for famous than it is down in verse 14 when it talks about the close relative may his name be famous in israel but there are a couple different words used there but they both come from the same word it means as a mark or memorial of individuality by honor authority and character 
and it's just famous. I, I guess I don't, you guys, I would, anybody sing the, everybody sing the song, the famous one. You guys ever heard that song? It's a really good song. You are the Lord, the famous one, the famous one. Oh, we need to learn it then. So if, if Boaz is the kinsman redeemer, yes, and they're saying be famous in Bethlehem, yes, which means be renowned, yes, and the real kinsman be the grand poopah of kinsman redeemer, <laughs> Jesus. Then in yeah, fact, he would be. Renowned. He would be famous, and he so would be really renowned. It is all pointing, to, all pointing to the famous him. one. Yes, I was just asking. You, I was getting ready to get to that, but thank you. <laughs> You're okay. I wanted to steal your thunder. Yeah, you know, no, yeah, there's no thunder here. There's no thunder here. It's the Bible. And I was just talking about the fa I love this song because I didn't know why. I'm like, why are they singing the famous one? The famous one. I mean, is it because people all want to be famous? And the song was singing from this here, from the kinsman redeemer, from this very, very thing. And the Bible is now prophesying that he is going to be the famous one, and which is going to come from Boaz's loins. And if you, you know, when we get there next week, we'll read through, you know, Matthew one is gives this lineage, and it's got Rahab, and it's, you know, it's got all these, these, these people that you really don't want in your lineage if you want to be a king. Um, but it's, it's an amazing thing that God. Uh, uh, makes us feel right at home. So um, the famous one in Bethlehem, the house of bread. So the bread of life is going to be born in Bethlehem. He's going to be renowned. He's going to be famous. It's going to be a mark and a memorial of his individuality because there's strength in the Lord. Uh, and he's going to be honor and authority and his character. And I think that just means his name, which is his character, his nature, and his will. Um, and May your house be like the house of Perez, who Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. Now, it's interesting that Perez was one of the twins born to Tamar, uh, uh, which is, here we are, Judah again, which is one of the kids of Jacob. Uh, which is Judah, which is where the Messiah comes to, the tribe of Judah. But I don't know if you remember chapter 38 of Genesis, which was a really ugly chapter again. Uh, but it was the only other place you're really going to find the kinsman redeemer and the picture of leveret marriage. And it's a place where the, uh, one didn't get, his, uh, 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 didn't get spit in his face, but he actually, God killed him because he would not continue the lineage of, of his brother. God actually killed him. And you can go read that later. It's in uh, Genesis 38. Uh, but it's mentioned here because it's the other place that, and, and some other sordid stuff that really the tribe of Judah comes through. And you think, man, how was Jesus born into some of these lineages? It's because everybody's a sinner. There's no good lineage to be born in. You got to be born somewhere. And he was sinless, born of a virgin. But look how he condescended, how he come down to be man, to redeem us. And he put forth his goodness, his love, and he's, and he's laid it all out for us. And all we have to do is say yes, and only the fool says no. And it's not just saying yes, yes, redeem me, but no to everything else because I want to live my own life. When you say yes to him, if you really say yes, you've said yes to every bit of your life. There's no yes and no. There's only yes and yes. 
You can't say, yes, Lord, uh, I'll take the heaven, but let me get, uh, let's see, is there another plate I can put this on? I want to put self-life over here, and I'll take a little bit of the salad. It's not an a la carte. When you believe and you receive, you receive the whole will of God. And anything less is fighting with God. And He's going to rest your hip out of socket. He's going to, do, he's going to come and, and, and keep giving His will to you and pleading with you to follow Him. And if you don't, then you're not really living a life of faith. And you can be broke off the branch and cast into the fire and receive your reward like the rest, as John 15 says. And that's just the Bible. I know a lot of people say, oh, well, no, once saved, always saved. Well, uh, I don't know about that. I was once saved, and I'm still saved, and I'm still living for God, but that's because I'm continuing and enduring in the faith. And that's what I believe my Bible says. I don't know that most of culture entity teaches that. But the Bible says all the way through it, if you endure to the end. The Bible has types everywhere. We need to be living this life, not just saying, I'll take salvation, but then, Lord, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. What happened in the book of Judges when that happened? What happened with the children of, of Israel when they came to Kadesh Barnea and they decided at this place of decision that they didn't want to go in? They all died in the wilderness. Except for two of them, Caleb and Joshua. They all died. They did not mix what they heard with faith. They didn't believe it. Listen, I'm not trying to get you to grow your faith. I don't think your faith grows. Your knowledge of truth grows so you can cast your faith on the Lord more. But faith is faith. It's just confident trust in God. He, he died once for the just. Excuse me. The just died once for the unjust. That he might bring us to God. And, and, and faith means a constancy of placing your trust in the blood that paid for our sin nature. And the only thing that grows is your knowledge of God. You're putting your faith in God and every time you do, you'll see Him come through because He's faithful and you'll go, wow, I can really trust Him. And you keep putting that same faith back in Him. And that's how you're sanctified. That's how you run with endurance. That's how you get across the finish line and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. As you continue to train by the rules. You don't compete by your own rules. You don't compete by what the liars are telling us and the world is telling us. Here is the rule book. Here is the manual. Here is what we're going to be judged by. Did you compete by the rules? Well, Greg told me that all I needed to do, but I gave you my book. It's the number one bestseller. I gave you my blood. I died for you and I put my spirit in you so that you would have a teacher and a guide to understand how to run this race so you'd have a built-in trainer to teach you. And that's what we must surrender to. And we have to stop listening to the lies of, of culture entity. And, it, and if you don't believe me, just go read the book of Judges tonight and see what happened to them when the thief and the liar showed up. 
And that's the times that Ruth is in. There's, there's, the, there's people who are still uh, uh, declaring the truth, living the truth, no matter what's going on. Naomi was still going back and returning to the house of bread. No matter what, she lost all of her family. And she still went back to the house of bread. No matter what's going on in your life, return to the house of bread and praise and return to the bread of life. He's your kinsman redeemer. He's the one that's going to tell you in His Word how to live and run and how to make it across the finish line. And you cannot please Him without faith. It's impossible to please God without faith. For those who come to Him must believe first that He is and that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Not just say, give me that belief and then I'll go chase everything else. You diligently seek Him. And that word seek means to desire. Father, bless our seed that was planted in our hearts. Lord, we pray that you would remove any of the falsehood that we believe because of the witnesses around us that would run without knowing your word. And Lord, we pray that you would bind the enemy from stealing the seed that's planted in our heart. And you would give us a desire to run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto you, the author and the finisher of our faith. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.